Amen. So if you're just now joining us for the first time over the past four weeks, we've been in a series called Living by Faith. And this is really one of the main tenets of Grace Church. And we want to, through this series, seek to grow in our understanding of what it means to live by faith in Jesus Christ. During the first three weeks, we looked at what faith is, what God has promised to us, and how God motivates us to fight sin and pursue obedience with what He has promised. And then last week, Pastor Steve gave us a helpful illustration and showed us five steps to fight the fight of faith. This week, what I want to do is turn our attention to another aspect of living by faith. And specifically, I want us to think about how faith compels us to live. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 22 through 27. And while you're finding the passage, I want to share a story about how the first American foreign missionary, Adoniram Judson, who would take the gospel to Burma, asked for his wife's hand in marriage. It's really one of the most astonishing stories I've ever read. And this is told in the book, To the Golden Shore. You see, Adoniram knew that he was called to go overseas and pursue foreign missions. And he knew that what that meant was sacrificing for the sake of the gospel. And the story goes that after he met his wife, Anne Hasseltine, and knew her for only one month, he wrote to her father the following letter. He writes, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home, and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory, with the crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise, which shall redound to her Savior from heathen saved, through her means, from eternal woe and despair." Now, I'm not sure how you would respond to a letter like this, whether you're her father or whether you're Anne herself. What's amazing is her father said she could make up her mind. And then listen to what Anne wrote to her friend Lydia Kimball in response. She says to Lydia, I feel willing and expect, if nothing in providence prevents, to spend my days in this world in heathen lands. Yes, Lydia, I have about come to the determination to give up all my comforts and enjoyments here, sacrifice my affection to relatives and friends, and go where God and his providence shall see fit to place me. Just an astonishing response. And I share this story to have us think about what compels 
people like Adoniram Judson and Anne Hasseltine to sacrifice like this? What compels people like them who are so set on spreading the gospel that even while they know dangers and hardships and sufferings await them, they're willing to live a life of sacrifice for the sake of spreading the kingdom of God? Now, you might not be called to do something quite as extreme as these people, but if we can figure out what compelled them to live like this, we can learn what will compel us to live lives of sacrifice in many different ways for the sake of the glory of Jesus Christ. And what I want to show you this morning from God's Word is that the answer to what compelled them is faith. Faith compels us to live lives of sacrifice. Faith compels us to trust in all of God, all that God promises to be for us in Jesus Christ. Faith that is spurred on by the hope of what lies ahead of us. Faith that knows God rewards all who seek him with abundant blessings and joy everlasting. And that's the main point from our passage in 1 Corinthians 9. Faith compels us, church, to run. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 22 through 27 with me. Paul writes, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified." I want to start by focusing our attention first on the one command that is found in this whole section. Did you notice it in verse 24? Paul says, So run that you may obtain the prize. So run that you may obtain the prize. That's the one command he gives to the church in Corinth in this section. Now, in order to truly understand what he means by this, we're going to need to get to what it means to run and what that prize is. But I want to start by noticing how Paul sees faith compelling us to run. If you remember at the beginning of the series that we're in, Pastor Steve gave us a helpful definition of faith. He says, faith is trusting all that God promises to be for us in Christ. You see, church, faith is not some flimsy kind of blind clinging to the possibility of something. Faith is a firm trust in the promises of God. And here in our passage, Paul says faith is trust in the promised prize that awaits us. And he intends for that faith and that prize to compel us to run. Notice that he doesn't say run because you're supposed to run. It's just what you're supposed to do. He doesn't even say, run because you are so grateful to God for all that he has given to you. He says, run that you may obtain the prize. 
He sets a prize before them and he says, run that you may obtain it. Now just for clarity's sake, Paul is not suggesting that only one Christian receives the prize as though we're all running this race and one of us is going to get to the end and have the prize and everybody's going to be left out. He's saying all of us should be running like the one who seeks to win. I mean, just think about it. Very few people choose to run a major race without a goal or a prize in mind. I think the only person I could probably think of is Jordan Rendell, who just like loves running. <laughs> so he's the only one crazy enough to do this. Typically, though, most people have a prize that they want. They have some kind of goal. That goal could be weight loss. That goal could be the satisfaction of completing a major race. It could be the ability to travel to an exotic country in order to race there, or most often some kind of medal or at least bragging rights on Facebook and Instagram. Most runners run with a goal, and they exercise, they train, and they run in a certain way so that they'll obtain that goal. And Paul is saying, just like all runners run to win a prize, we don't just walk through the Christian life. We run so that we will obtain the prize. We run in the way we need to to win it. And faith in that promised prize is what will compel us to keep running. So with that in view, with faith being what compels us to run, let's examine those two questions that I said we needed to get to. What is the prize and how exactly are we to run? So what is the prize that we're running for? Well, in verses 25 to 27, Paul uses an analogy familiar to the Corinthian church of athletes and the Isthmus Games. And he does this in order to compare how they run with how we should run and to compare their prize with our prize. And he starts in verse 25 by focusing in on the prize. Look at the end of verse 25. He says, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable so all the runners in the Isthmus Games all competed for a wreath that was probably made of wild olive, ivy, and parsley. And I know what you're thinking, like, I wouldn't really want a wreath made of those things today. But back then, that was a really good prize for them to have. So maybe think of the Olympics now and the gold medals that they get. And Paul says, look at how they exert themselves for a crown made of sticks but we run for something so much better. Church, our prize is imperishable. The prize that we get from running this Christian life never fades away. It will last forever. You see, it's not like any prize a runner will run for. Bragging rights may only last till the next race. That post on Facebook will get buried behind a thousand other within the next month. That weight loss will maybe come back. But the prize we run for in the Christian life is imperishable. It never fades away. 
And then in verse 27, Paul starts to hone in on this prize where he says that he disciplines his body so that he won't be disqualified from this imperishable prize. Now the language that he uses for the term disqualified in the original language helps us to discover what he's referring to because whenever Paul uses this throughout the New Testament, it's exclusively used to point to being cut off from the presence of God and from glory. So this prize is God's presence. It's glory forever. And these two verses help us to kind of hone in on it, but there's one more that we need to consider, and it's really a very fascinating one. And it's the connection, actually, of verse 23 to verses 24 and 27. Look back at verse 23 and notice how the language speaks of a prize. Paul says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that, or in order that, I may share with them in its blessings. You see, Paul understands that blessings are found in the gospel and that they're his to share in as he spreads the gospel to others. And so he says, I'm going to do everything so that I can get those blessings that come from sharing the gospel with others. And it's right after this verse in verse 23 that he says, do you not know? And so what he's doing is he's drawing our attention to these blessings that he receives in sharing the gospel, and then he's saying that's the same prize that you get when you're running the race. Blessings that come from the gospel. And the blessings of the gospel center firmly around the presence of God. Which church in Psalm 1611, we're reminded that in God's presence, there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Don't just let that glide over your hearts. Did you hear that? Fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. Not some momentary happiness from finishing a race. Fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So the blessings of the gospel, the imperishable prize that we're running to obtain is even more joy now and forever in Jesus Christ. Joy that has been secured for us by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because through that we are forgiven of our sins, we are justified, and we are reconciled to God. Now with the joy and the ability to be in the presence of God, to see his glory and to be delighted. By it. Oh, church, what stands before us is a prize of infinite value. And the reality is, is if we really saw it for what it is, we would weep over it. We would sell everything we have in order to obtain it. And so the question we need to start with is asking ourselves Has faith in that promised prize been compelling? you to run. If it hasn't, the first place to start is to take a moment and just reflect on what that prize really entails. Now, I hope you're here thinking, I do want to run, and I want to win that prize, but how do I run? I think that's the question that we should be asking, is how are we supposed to run, Paul? 
How exactly do we run? I hear you. I'm, I'm tracking with you. We should run to win the prize. We should run to share in the blessings of the gospel. But what does that really mean? What does that really look like? And there are lots of things that we could talk about and go to about what this would look like. But what's interesting is the passage here points to one main way that we're called to run. And that is to run by having control over the desires of our flesh. Start again at the beginning of verse 25, which is immediately following the command to run. Paul says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. So if we see from the start that Paul's analogy here is going to be connected to the way an athlete exercises self-control. Many of you know Milos and Isadora from our church. They're members of Grace Church, and if you don't know them, I would encourage you to get to know them. But what you may not know about them is both of them are actually major championship athletes. Isadora, correct me if I get this wrong, but competed in figure physique bodybuilding competitions. And Milos, here we go, let's try this. Kaya Kushinkai, is that right? <laughs> Close enough. Kaya Kushinkai Karate. And both of them were highly ranked in their field. So I went to them and I asked them, to share their experiences with self-control and with discipline in order to excel in their sports. Isadora shared how everything affected her goal. Things like nutrition, training, sleep, recovery, and even her stress level needed to be closely monitored at all times. Every attention to detail mattered, and she needed to control, have self-control over all aspects of her life, and she needed her mindset to be set on the focused reward. Milo shared much of the same, even how he had to intentionally build up his pain tolerance and the self-control it took to remove all kinds of fear from his mind, fear of pain, broken bones, shame, failure, and disappointment. Get this, one of the most astounding points of self-control he shared was how the training itself all led to a specific martial arts fight that involved 40 highly trained men in one-minute intervals without any kind of break. I mean, I almost collapsed just thinking about that. And it seems like part of the objective in that fight was just not to give up. You had to have control over your mind so that you could just keep going. You see, the amount of self-control it takes for major athletes to compete over their mind, over their bodies, like Isadora and Milos, is really astounding. And Paul is saying, that's the kind of self-control we should have over anything that would hinder us from our goal. And he goes on then to focus on what exactly that meant for him and what it should mean for us in verse 26. I want you to notice the connection of verse 25 and 26. So start at the beginning of verse 25. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Then verse 26. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. 
So Paul says, every athlete that you see out there exercises self-control over all things. So this is what I do. And he moves in his metaphor from running to boxing in order to help us understand what he means and what he's saying. Now, I'm, I really don't follow boxing, but even for me, the analogy isn't lost. Just about everyone knows that a boxer doesn't just go out swinging, flailing his arms. I mean, in fact, if you went to a boxing match and you just saw a guy, you would think something's wrong with that guy. And I'm not quite sure how he made it to this competition. That would be absolutely crazy for a boxer because they want to hit their opponent. In fact, for a boxer, every punch is calculated for maximum effect and impact. And each time a boxer doesn't hit the mark, it's a waste of energy and it's potentially detrimental for him. And so Paul uses this illustration to show us that our running should be like a boxer. It should be intentional, it should be precise, and every blow should have a purpose in it. But then look at verse 27 where he sets our eyes on who our opponent should be. And it's our own flesh. Do you see what he's saying here? He's saying he delivers decisive and precise blows in order to defeat his flesh and control its desires so that he will run to obtain the prize. Now here's where the context of these verses becomes so important and it's actually very astonishing and eye-opening. As you know here at Grace Church, we always say this context is so important. It means everything. So maybe you've heard this verse taught on a desire to pursue personal holiness. Or perhaps the first thing that comes to your mind is some sin you need to battle or some bad habit you need to get rid of. And I'm not suggesting that those things aren't part of what Paul means, but I don't think it's the main thing he's talking about in this chapter. And I say this for two reasons. First, because this section in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is actually set in the middle of a lengthy response to what was probably seen as a simple question of, is it okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols? And we know this because in chapter 8 verse 1, Paul says, now concerning food offered to idols. And he's not going to say now until the beginning of chapter 11. So from the beginning of chapter 8 all the way to the beginning of chapter 11, Paul is addressing one thing. Is it right, is it okay for us to eat food sacrificed to idols? And along the way, what's interesting is there's only really a handful of commands that he gives to this church. The first one's in 1 Corinthians 8-9. And there he says, take care that this right of yours, the right that you have to eat meat, take care that it does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. The second command that we see is here in this text where he's saying, so run, and he's linking this to his example of running. There's a few more in chapter 10 that essentially say, take care the same. And then there's one final command in chapter 11, verse 1, that says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So the commands that he gives in response to the question of, is it right for us to eat meat sacrificed to idols, I think could be summed up in this way. Don't let your freedoms lead you astray, but run the race like me as I run like Christ. 
So that's the first reason. I don't think he's primarily talking about sin necessarily and the fight against sin because he's focusing on the freedom and the right to eat meat. The second reason is found in the direct connection of verse 22. Go back there with me and notice what Paul shares that he himself did. He says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And Paul's example here in verse 22 connects directly and flows directly into verse 24 where he's calling us to run. So this reveals that the discipline he's talking about in verse 27 is connected to the discipline that he had when he was trying to become all things to all people. Now time won't allow for us to dig in depth to that. I would encourage you to go back and study chapter 9 in particular from verse 1 all the way until this point. But let me try to sum up what Paul shares. He astonishingly shared how he became a servant to all people, to both Jews and Gentiles, and about how he denied his rights and the freedoms that he had in any way that he could in order to spread the gospel and to save some. So when you pull these two reasons together, it leads me to conclude that the main blow Paul is talking about here is the discipline to keep his appetites, his body, his desires under control in such a way that his freedoms, his rights, wouldn't hinder the spread of the gospel. What a way to run! And I want to really challenge us to let this sink into our hearts because I don't think we often consider sacrificing our rights and our freedoms for the sake of spreading the gospel. In fact, I think it's quite quite the opposite most of the time. Most of the time, we're going to do anything we can to fight for that right and that freedom. I mean, just think about it. What do you naturally do as soon as you hear some freedom of yours is being taken away? Or someone's upset by you exercising some right that you had to do something? What do you naturally do when you need to come under authority, like the government, or kids, your parents? Our natural first response, and the response we do most of the time, is we stiffen up and we say, that's my right. You can't take it away from me. Instead of saying, I wonder, I wonder if sacrificing this right and this freedom would lead to the advancement of the gospel. And I wonder how often God is calling us to sacrifice our rights and our freedoms so that the gospel is seen is as glorious as it really is. Because you see, church, this is the way we're called to run. We're called to run by having such a control over the desires of our flesh that even our freedoms and our rights won't keep us from running. There's a similar concept in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, that really pierces to the heart of this. If you know, Hebrews chapter 11 is about the examples of the faith we see in the saints of old. Saints that gave up the pleasures of this world to pursue the pleasures of Christ. 
And the author of Hebrews, in the beginning of chapter 12, starts this way. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, since we have seen such great examples of faith, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice, church, that it says every weight and sin. This was pointed out to me years ago, and it, it stuck with me ever since. This means that we shouldn't just ask, is it sin? In fact, the pastor that, that first brought my attention to this said that's about the lowest question you can ask. The real question we should be asking is, does it help me run? Does this help me run? Whatever freedom, whatever right we have, does it help me run? Because I want to run to win the prize. So you see, Grace Church, we are called to run. And now we've seen what it looks like to run. But we need to circle all the way back around to our main point from the beginning. And it's that faith is what compels us to run. Faith and all that God promises to be for us in Christ. You see, if you were to leave here, and you left here with just this idea that you needed to be a little bit more self-disciplined, you needed to battle sin more, you needed to read your Bible, maybe there's this freedom over here that you're like, I'll just give up that for now. If that's all you left here with, I think you would miss the most vital part of this. Because your motivation will only last so long if you're just attacking things one at a time. Don't get me wrong, we want to battle sin. We want to exercise more self-discipline. We need to read God's word more. We need to pray more. We need to share the gospel with others more. But I firmly believe that we'll only get so far if we forget how faith is what compels us to run in that way. We'll only get so far if we forget how faith in all that God promises to be for us in Jesus Christ is what compels us to live lives of sacrifice. And what we need more than anything else is to keep learning, keep knowing, keep growing in our trust of God's promises. Keep setting them before us so that we are compelled to run over and over again because as we do that, as we set the promises of God before us, what happens is our eyes are taken off of these puny things in this world and they're set on the glory of Jesus Christ. This glory that is just astounding. And we see glimpses of it now and one day, one day we're going to see it in all of his majesty. That's what stands before us. That's the prize that awaits us. That's what will compel you to run. So let me encourage you. Think on the blessings of the gospel that you will receive as you share the gospel with others. Ponder this prize of joy now, more joy than I had yesterday, and more joy forever in the presence of God often. Let that prize sink so deep into your hearts that you don't want to be disqualified from it. And let the faith in God's promises compel you to run time and time and time again. Promises that all lead to that glorious day 
when we finally make it to our true home, when we finally see Jesus Christ face to face and we dwell in the glory of God forever. That's what lies before us, church. That's what we're running to obtain. So run that you may obtain the prize. Stand with me as I pray this over us. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your love and your mercy for us. We thank you that you have promised us great rewards in trusting in your promises, that joy exists for us now more in Christ than we could have in anything else, and that joy forever in your presence is what will ultimately satisfy our hearts. And I pray that you would sink this deep into our hearts and you would compel us to run for the sake of the gospel. I pray this all in the holy and matchless name of Jesus. Amen.